So open up your Bibles. Curtain's rising on the last act today. Uh, I just want to do a little review. How many of you have been here all five weeks? Raise your hand. Wow, that's really cool. And for those of you who have been here when you can be here, that's really cool too. I almost wore that top this morning. (laughs) All right, so open up your Bibles. I'm going to just give a short review. You could probably all do this. I'm just going to bring you up to snuff. Maybe you're here for the, anybody here for the first time this summer? Cool. Well, welcome. Okay, so here's what's happened. King Xerxes had a party. He wanted to show off his queen. She said no. He dethroned her. So then a new search for a queen was uh, implemented. It was almost like the king looking for Cinderella, but it wasn't Cinderella. It was Esther. Esther was pipped. Her uncle Mordecai was sitting in the court. He, he uncovered a plot to kill King Xerxes. Um, Mordecai basically saves King Xerxes' life. He gets no credit for it. But a wicked man named Haman gets put second in command. Uh, Haman is an enemy of the Jews, and Haman devises this plot to do away with the Jewish nation, and so the Jews are now in turmoil. Because being second in command, you know he had the king's signet ring, and he could write proclamations, and he could put his ring. Did you ever have, in seventh grade, I had one of those rings that you melted the wax. I can remember, I can see myself sitting in my house in Los Alamitos, California, in my desk, (laughs) melting my wax, and it was always pink melting my wax and putting my little signet ring that had an S on it in it. And when I, some of you don't even remember mailing letters, but I used to mail letters. And (laughs) I would communicate with my friends and stuff and family. And I would write a letter and I would put my signet ring in the wax. And I, did any of you do that? Or am I just too old for any of you? Oh, good. Well, I know my friend, little shoe, did, did the same thing. So, yeah, we did that. So anyway, he put his signet ring on this proclamation that all the Jews should be killed. Last week we saw, or or a few weeks ago, we saw how Mordecai persuades Esther to help her people and says to her, how do you know that you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther ponders, I'm sure she prayed, and her answer was, yes, I will do it, and if I perish, I perish. She trusted God with her life, that song that we sang this morning. So the king receives Esther. As she goes before him, which she could have left, lost her life for doing, he receives her, tells her he will give her up to half of the kingdom, and asks her what she wants. And she is waiting on the prompting of the Lord to tell her when. So she invites the king and Haman to come to a banquet. They don't know why, but she invites them to come a second time. So she's waiting on that prompting from the Lord. The king goes to sleep. He can't sleep. He asks his servants to bring him um, the history books, and he's reading, and he reads about Mordecai and what he did and finds out that nothing had been done for Mordecai. So he calls in Haman and says, what should we do for a man that's done this and done this and that the king wants to honor and wants to praise and give, give, give accolades to? And Haman thinking, oh. He says, well, we should put a royal robe on him and we should parade him around the court on a, on a glorious horse and we should do this and do that for him. And much to Haman's surprise, the king is talking about Mordecai. 
So then Haman has to do all this. He comes home, and there's no consolation from his wife. It's just not a happy place. And so then it's time to start the second banquet. We know Haman's really lost his appetite, but he goes to the second banquet, and Esther knows now is the time. Reveal the plot of the evil Haman to the king. The king is furious. The king leaves And Haman falls on Esther begging. The king comes back in and thinks that Haman is trying to take advantage of his queen. And he becomes even more furious. And he says, impale Haman on the gallows that's outside. Everybody knew those gallows were out there. And those are the gallows that were meant for Mordecai. And Haman is hung upon them. So the baddie is destroyed. The baddie is gone. But we've still got the edict to destroy the Jews. What are we going to do with that? And that brings us to chapter 8. And I've entitled that, A Passion for Souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it has been so exciting to go through this book and see you at every nook and every turn and every, every place that your name is never mentioned, but we know that you're working. We see you moving people around and we see you speaking to the hearts of your people to save a nation. And so, Lord, as we look at these last three chapters today, continue to speak to our hearts and help us to understand this passion for souls that Mordecai and Esther had. And we thank you, Lord, that we can have that today, just being your vessel. So bless this time as we go through these last few chapters. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's look at chapter 8. The King's Edict in Behalf of the Jews. The same day King Xerxes gave Esther the estate of Haman, and you remember that was quite a big amount, the enemy of the Jews. Then, and Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So now she's feeling comfortable, and she's really telling him some things. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, good thing, right? And presented it to Mordecai, And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. So Haman is dead, but this murderous edict was still very much alive. And unless something intervened or someone intervened, within nine months, the the Persians would attack the Jews and wipe them off the face of the earth. Do you realize what a huge thing that would have been? But there is God again protecting his people. There were about 15 million among the 100 million people in this vast empire. You know, when I read this, I think of this little kingdom and a few people and some scribes and some maidens. And it wasn't like that. It was 100 million people. It was a vast empire. God's people have always been in the minority But we need to remember that God is on the throne. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you were in a minority. I never felt this as much as two times in my life. Once when I was at the Forum in L.A. at a concert, a Motown concert, and and I really felt in the minority. And um, it was a really weird feeling. And the only other time I felt that is when I was in China. And I longed to hear English. 
You know, I longed to hear the spoken English language because we didn't hear it. I mean, and we started talking to each other weirdly because we had been in China for so long. Um, I have friends that are English, and whenever they come over, for, for some reason when they leave, I start talking like, have a spot of tea, and you know, and I don't even do accents well. But, but we need to remember that they were in the minority here. But the Lord had brought Mordecai, and the Lord had brought Esther to this kingdom for what? For such a time as this. So in verse 1, we see God releasing the treasures of darkness to Esther millions and millions of of dollars. Turn to Isaiah 45. I want to read this scripture because it's so good. They're going to wonder on the tape what happened to us. Does somebody have it? Isaiah, well, I've got it. I can get my scroll to scroll. Okay, Isaiah 45, 3. I love this scripture. It says, I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. You know, these were uh, monies that were to be used for evil. These were treasures of darkness. But God worked it out that these monies came back around to Esther to be used for good and to be used in this kingdom. And I'm sure now, go back to um, Esther 8. I'm sure now as Esther is telling King Xerxes all about Mordecai that she's telling him more about his character how he saved the king's life. Because remember, the king didn't really know anything about this until he went to sleep that night. Verse 2, what a miracle. See how the story can just, it can't just end here because God wants to do more than just save Esther and more than just save Mordecai. He wants to now save Esther's people. And God will use them to put down this wicked evil scheme that Haman had proposed. Men like Haman need to be disposed of, and men of God like Mordecai need to be lifted up. You know, I've, I've often heard Gary talk about how we need to pray for our president and our, our um, vice president and those are, who are in control, even if we haven't voted for them. And it's really important. I don't know if you saw the poll out the other day on CNN um, that talked about um, Obama's um, presidency. And I don't want to get into a whole political thing, but we really need to pray for our country, you guys. We really do. We are on a very slippery slope. I mean, it's very scary. And I don't know if you all saw the victory that Hobby Lobby had this week, but what a praise the Lord for that. Because I volunteer at a um, pregnancy crisis center, and I've known what that plan B, plan B pill has been for a long, long time, and it is not what the government says it is. If you read the, um, the 
the writing that is in this packet for this Plan B, B pill, you know exactly what it is. It's an abortion pill. And we are seeing less and less clients come in for ultrasounds because they are taking this pill and it is aborting their baby. And it's a really, really scary thing. We've come a long, long way from the 60s and we're not going in the right direction. Look at verse 3. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to this evil plan of Haman, which had been devised against the Jews. The more intimate you become with a person, the more you are free to share with that person. And that's what was happening here. He had tenderness for her, and she was feeling comfortable with him. She was able to share with him and go to him. And you know, that goes deeper than just the pages on these words. You've all experienced it. When you feel emotionally connected to someone, you feel safe and free with them. And that is a beautiful relationship. I have few friends that I have that with. I have that with my husband, have that with Elisa, but I have few friends. And when you have friends that you have that with, it's a beautiful thing. And that's what was happening now with this king and this queen. And remember, this was a time in history when he could go six months a year without even seeing her. But God's doing something here. God's working here. God's not mentioned here, but he's here. He's working. He's devising and, and, and bringing together their relationship was deepening. And Esther wasn't going to stop now. Just because I said she and Mordecai were saved, she longed and he longed for the salvation of their people. And I think he instilled that in her as he raised her. Here's a question for you and I. As I'm reading through this, as I'm studying this, I'm seeing this compassion, I'm seeing this desire for the people to be saved. The question came to me, am I concerned with the people of Loudoun County? Am I concerned for the people in my neighborhood? Am I concerned for the people in my country and other countries? You know, as I look around this room, I, I know some of you who are involved in, in um, missionary outreaches and in getting the word to other countries and, and, and getting Jesus preached in your neighborhoods. There's nothing better. You know, we live in a, a really weird time where we can live in a neighborhood for 10 years and not know our next door neighbor. Do you realize that? I, I was thinking about this the other day. <clears throat> Kids don't, like I said, write letters. Kids don't call anybody on a phone. We don't interact face-to-face with people. We do it all through that iPhone. We do everything. They were just telling me, you know, everybody was at camp last week, and, and one of the camp counselors was saying um, our biggest problem was the cell phone. And she, she said, they, I go, they weren't allowed to have it? She goes, no. And I go, well, that's their camera. I go, it, it's got everything on it. It's got every emergency phone number they'd ever need to know. And you're taking that away from them? I said, our culture's done this. We've done this. You know, we've made everything impersonal. But here, this relationship is deepening, and they are face-to-face. Let me encourage you not to lose that. Let me encourage you not to lose that. You know, um, I didn't have parents who used a cell phone. Well, my dad tried, but 
it was kind of funny. He'd always say, what's my password and how do I get these messages? And after he died, there must have been 20 messages on his phone that, you know, my brother or myself or friends had left him. Hey, Anthony, where are you? You're supposed to meet me for dinner. Never got the message, you know. But don't lose that face-to-face contact. I mean, if you could just do it with your husband, it would be a benefit. Do you find each other? You're upstairs. He's in the man cave. Do you text? I find myself doing that. I find, who is at the door? Can you come up and get the dogs? I mean, we got an intercom in our house. I don't even use that anymore. It's all on the text, but try really hard not to lose that intimate contact. Have lunch with a friend and put your phone away when you're having lunch with a friend. Now, have you seen this? I've seen this. Have you seen this? Couple out for dinner. They're texting each other at the table. I've seen it. I've seen it. It's scary. This king and this queen had an intimacy, and because of this intimacy, she was able to share with him her concern. Are we concerned for the people around us? Are we concerned for the people in other countries? We need to be. Look at verse 4. Then the king extended the gold scepter. You know, every time the queen approached, he had to accept that or she would be put to death. And she arose and stood before him. Do we love others enough to weep over them? Do we plead before the throne of God for others? That is what she was about to do. And we see a big change in Esther here. She is now asking for the impossible. But we know that with God, nothing is impossible. And you do realize and you do know, because we've talked about it, that once a decree is put into action, there is no revoking it. This had his seal on it, and this was going to happen. Look at verse 5. If it pleases the king, she said, and if it regard, if he regards me with favor and thinks it is the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches of Haman. That was devised and wrote to destroy the Jews and all in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear, this is her heart, how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? Verse 7, King Xerxes replies to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther. There was the um, treasures of darkness being released to Esther. And they have impaled him on the pole he set up. And we know he set that up for Mordecai. Now write another decree, the king says, in the king's name, in behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can ever be revoked. At once the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan. They wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps, governors, and nobles of the 127 providences stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people 
and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring and sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. Remember, there was no email. There was no teletype. There was nothing but you get on a horse and you ride as fast as you can to get this taken care of. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and to protect themselves. See, he couldn't say, now you can't attack, because that would be taking back what he had ordered. So he gave them the right to protect themselves, to destroy, to kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them, their women and children, and to plunder the property property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the thirteenth day of the twelfth month of the twelfth month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text a copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves of their enemies. The couriers riding the royal horses went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susha. So we know he couldn't revoke this, but Esther could write a new decree and allow her people to defend themselves. Do you realize that the Jews today are still defending themselves? I don't know if you've watched the news in the last few days, but it is happening every single day. According to verse 9, this edict was written on the 23rd day of the third month which on our calendar would be June 25th. Remember, the Jewish calendar begins with the month of April. I didn't know that until I found out in my research. The first decree was issued on April 17th, so about 70 days had passed since Haman had declared war on the Jews. D-Day for the Jews was to be March 7th. Therefore, the people had eight months to get ready. And they needed this amount of time. You know, again, I'm thinking, okay, this happened this day, and then the next day this happened. It didn't happen that way. It took eight months for them to get ready. Now, he wore a cloak of fine linen and gold, a gold crown. In Revelation, it talks about fine linen representing the righteousness of the saints. The crown, the word in the Hebrew, isn't the same word as the crown that was on Vashti's head or Esther's head. It's like a, the crown that is referred to in Psalm 8, 5, the crown of glory and honor. And glory and honor was given by God to his most precious saints, and it's given to you and I because, believe it or not, we are called the saints of God. Mordecai's decree was incomplete harmony with God's covenant. Do you remember back in Genesis 12, 3, and this is out of the New King James Version? God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And that's what's going to happen now. Look at verse 15. 
When Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing that, wearing that royal garment of blue and white and that, that large crown of gold and a purple robe of fine linen. You know, purple signifies royalty. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and of joy, gladness and honor in every province, in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews and feasting and celebration. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. The power of joy by a tiny minority did wondrous things. Do you know that joy, the tiniest bit of joy spreads? Have you ever been moody? Probably not, just me. Sometimes I get moody or sometimes I get down. And you know what can bring me out of a funk faster than anything? Hearing the laughter of my grandchildren. Seeing their faces. A lot of times I'll, I'll text Lise. See, there I go. I text Lise. And I say, can we FaceTime? But that FaceTime is better than the text. I can see their faces. I can see their smiles. And that little bit of joy that I see in them brings joy to my heart. If your home is gloomy, if your home is down, if your home, if you have, and I, I'm sure you never have this, but sometimes I just feel in my home there's doom and gloom. You know, I just feel that, you know, and I know that the enemy is always there trying to rob me of my joy, so I need to be on guard of that. But a lot of times when that happens, I will just Flick on praise music. And in praise music, there's scripture. And in scripture, there's life. And in life, there is joy. And if you just flick on those praise songs, joy will come to your heart. And that moodiness or that gloom and doom or whatever it is will be gone. Sometimes um, I'll get a phone call and I'm sorry I'm using you as an example again, but you're my best examples. <laughs> Sometimes I'll get a phone call from Lisa and she'll say, Mom, can you pray for me? And I'll say, yeah, what's the matter? I don't know. I just need you to pray for me. And I'll go, I'd be happy to pray for you. And I'll pray for her and she'll feel better. And then days later she'll come and she'll say, I think this is what was going on. But when you prayed for me, just your prayer, the Lord lifted that. And don't be afraid to reach out to someone. If you're going through a hard time, do you know the biggest lie of the enemy is don't call her. She's busy. She doesn't want to hear from you. Don't call her because your problem isn't that big. Call. Do whatever you have to do. FaceTime. Connect with people so that if you've lost that joy, you can get it back. God wants us to have joy, abundant joy, overflowing joy. But sometimes when that gets stolen from it, we need to get it back. So this little tiny thing that was happening was creating great joy in all of these people. Turn to chapter 9. So the tables have turned. And God is keeping his promises to his people. Look at verse 1. On the 13th day of the 12th month of the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. And on this day, the enemies of the Jew had hoped to overpower them. 
But now the tables were turned, and the Jews got the upper hand on those who hated them. Oh, don't we want to see Israel have victory? I so want to see Israel have victory. And I so want to be part of that victory. Don't you want to be part of that victory? Whether it's by prayer or whatever way God calls you to be involved, I want to be part of that victory. The Jews assembled in their cities and all the providences of King Xerxes to attack those who determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nations were now afraid of them. When God is for us, who can be against that? Do you against us? Do you believe that? I believe that. And you know, there's times I say that out loud. Sometimes do you feel like everyone's against you. I don't know why that is, but I think we, because we're women and because we're emotional, there's times that we feel that. You know, um, there was a, a couple weeks ago, I had a day where I was struggling in my relationship with my brother. My brother has basically um, fallen off the face of the earth. I can't get a hold of him. I can't reach him. He won't talk to me. And so I called his wife, and I know many of you have prayed for my brother, and I called my sister-in-law, or actually I texted my sister-in-law. I said, I've been trying to get a hold of Anthony. I haven't talked to him in a few months. I said, I'm a little concerned about him. She said, she called me. Um, she said, Susan, Anthony doesn't even live in California anymore. I said, what? She said, he moved to Colorado. He didn't tell you? I said, Sandy, I've texted him. I've called him. He won't call me. He won't text me. And there's a lot going on there. And he just fell right off the face of the earth. And and I was struggling with that, and I thought, why, why won't he talk to me? Why won't he answer my calls? And I, the last text I sent him, I said, I said, Anthony, I'm concerned for you. I love you. I want to talk to you. But if you don't answer this text, I will know that you don't want to talk to me, and I won't bother you anymore. And I didn't hear anything from him. And I started feeling really bad. And then my older daughter's mad at me. I don't know why, but she's mad at me, and... It's, it, and I was feeling, you know, do you ever have those days when you just feel like every, everyone's against you? And I was feeling sad. And I stood in my kitchen. I said, if God be for me, who can be against me? <laughs> and, you know, that brought me comfort. And I called Vic. And I, I, I actually, Vic had come home. He had been doing a funeral. And he had come home. And he came upstairs. And I told him. And he goes, honey, does this surprise you? You're teaching a Bible study. You won't say that sin is right. You won't, you won't give, give a lie for the truth. You stand up for what you believe. You stand up for God. Do you, does this surprise you? And I go, yes. And he goes, it shouldn't. <laughs> it shouldn't surprise you. So if you don't know that verse, Romans 8, 31, like I always say, write it backwards on your forehead so when you look in the mirror, you can read it. If God is for us, who can be against us? So God is going to give victory to his people. Look at verse 5. The Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them. And they did what they pleased with those who hated them. In the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. They also killed and I'm not even going to try to say all those names, the ten sons of Haman, but they did not lay hands on the plunder. I think that's really admirable. 
The number of those killed in the citadel of Susha was reported to the king the same day. The king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? It will be granted. If it pleases the king, Esther said, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also and let Haman's ten sons be impaled on poles. Seems kind of by barbaric, but I think it was poetic justice. So the king commanded that this be done. An edict was issued in Susa and they impaled the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the 14th day of the month of Adar and they, and they put to death in the, in the city of Susa 300 men. They did not lay hands on the plunder. Again, I think that's admirable. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's province also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. You know, God promises relief from our enemies. They killed 75,000 of them and did not lay hands on the plunder. Since the Jews were not the aggressors, it means that the 10 sons of Haman had taken up arms and attacked the Jews and all 10 of them were slain. And we see that there were 75,000 killed in one day. And it shows us how many people hated the Jews and wanted to destroy them. And since the Jews were greatly outnumbered in this empire, their victory was not in any way, shape, or form attributed to them. It had had to be attributed to the power of of God, their faith and their courage and the power of God. You know, we live in a world that there are more conspiracies for evil than we can even count. You know, I must be a news junkie because I keep going back to the news, but the news has been interesting in the last couple of days. They've, you know, this ISIS um, sect that is now a a terrorist group that is really out there and really dangerous has really come into the forefront of the news and they are now trying to develop bombs that can be taken on planes and not detected and the flights coming from overseas direct flights coming from overseas into the united states in this next few days and weeks are (laughs) very much a concern for the safety of the United States of America. There are so many conspiracies out there, and these evil people need to be done away with, and the only way it can happen is through our prayers. We've got to be committed to pray for the safety of our nation. We've got to be committed to pray for the safety of others. It is so important in this time. We live in a world that is so unlike the world I grew up in. You know, I, um, I grew up in the 60s, as you know. And 
I love the 60s channel on my XM radio. It takes me back. And, you know, it's so funny because my daughters grew up listening to the same music. And one of them hates it and one of them loves it. And it's just fortunate that Lisa is the one that loves it because when we go on road trips, that's what we sing. And now her children are singing it and my three-year-old granddaughter is singing it too. And it's, it, it takes me back. You know, I think about it often. Why is it that that music comforts me? It takes me back to a safe time. You know, the mamas and the papas never sang about anything bad. You know, the Beach Boys, they didn't sing about anything bad. There was no swear words in the music. There was no talk of drugs and calling women unbelievable names. You know, it was California girls. You know, wish we could all be California girls. Uh, It was just a safe time. We do not live in that world anymore. But this can only be done through prayer. And I just want you to know how important that prayer is. The celebration that they had in these villages, look at verse 17, or look at 18. The Jews in the city of Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and the 14th, and then on the 15th, They rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. This celebration continues today. The Jews assemble. They enact, react in, they, in, what's the word I'm looking for? Reenact the entire thing. They thank God for what he did for them. They thank God for sending Esther to this place. They thank God for that second edict that, that said the Jews could defend themselves. They thank God for preserving them. They thank God for protecting them. They, The little children, and I'll get more into this, but the little children, they even bring toys to this event to give to the poor so that they can bless others knowing that they've been blessed by God. Look at verse 20. Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews received relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration, he wrote them He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So this is something that it kind of makes me think of those remembrance stones in the Old Testament, you know, when something happens, they put up a remembrance stone so they could tell their children and their children's children. Well, this is what they're doing here. They're preserving this amazing thing that God did so children's 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 would know the faithfulness, the protection of God and they're giving thanks which is something that we definitely need to teach our children to do. It is so important. You know, I've said this before but I'll say it again. How many times do we beg God to help us and beg God to help us and plead with God to do this and plead with God to do that and then he does it and do we remember to thank him? It's so important. You know, I I think back to because my mom and my dad have passed now I think back to how many times I probably did not thank them 
for the things that they did to me. I wish I could go back now and do it, but there are no do-overs. When somebody goes to heaven, it's done, it's over. There's no doers. You can't go back and say anything. You can't take anything back. You can't add anything. This was a teaching to give thanks for what God had done, and we need to do that. And those of you who have small children, and those of you who are grandmothers, we need to be instruments that teach that to the children that are in our lives. I don't care if you're an aunt, if you're a sister, if you have nieces, nephews, whatever. We've got to teach our children to be thankful. So the verse 23, so the Jews agreed to continue the celebration that had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the purr, which is lots, for the ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, and we know it came to the king's attention through him not being able to sleep that night, and the history books being brought to him and read, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head, and that he and his son should be impaled on poles. Let me stop there for a minute, and let me tell you that this is a warning to us i really believe that the lord says vengeance vengeance is mine saith the lord don't ever try to repay evil for evil don't ever try to devise a scheme of evil against anyone because i believe that no good will come to you of that That isn't what God's plan for you or for me is. If someone has done evil against you, you let the Lord deal with it. Don't try to deal with it yourself. You know, last week I was talking about that whole seventh grade mentality. And if you're a seventh grader, I apologize. But it's just, you know, that age of girls. You know, if, if, if a bunch of girls hurt a girl, then you want to get a bunch of girls to hurt that girl. Well, we take that into adulthood, unfortunately. But if there is evil done against you, do not try to repay evil for evil because it will do no good. Verse 28. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. So as I said, the celebration uh, continues today. The story of the victory over the the, the Jews over their enemies is celebrated in an annual feast, and this still happens. And it was recorded in two official letters that was written in the journals and ultimately ends up in our Old Testament. So it's interesting. Um, yesterday I was reading in, um, in, I think it was First and Second Chronicles, and Xerxes' name came up. And I love how God is so 
amazing that no matter where you are in Scripture, you see his handiwork. And no matter where you are in Scripture, you see his love for his people. And no matter where you are in Scripture, you see his protection. And the more I read the Bible, the more I see this. It's such an incredible thing. So verse 29. So Esther, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in 127 providence of Xerxes' kingdoms, words of goodwill and assurance to establish these days of Purim at their designated times as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them. And as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard to their times of fastings and lamentations. Esther's decree was confirmed, had confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records. So this celebration that they had was going into the history books, it was going into the annuals, and it was to be celebrated every year, almost like our Thanksgiving. But what they do is they build a gallows and they stuff a Haman and they put an evil face on him and they make him fat from what I understand and they make him scary looking and they impale him on this pay on this pole and the children are excited and they have candy and it is a total celebration for them and this still happens today um i I almost wish that we could go to one of these things um i've heard that there there used to be plays that were done about this and we might get a video and maybe sometime we could get the women together and watch this video if we can get a hold of it but I think it would be interesting to watch and to see because history is important. And, you know, sometimes I think that we pay little importance to history. I have a husband who was never a history buff, and my dad was a history buff, and I'm a history buff, and I love history. And um, I read this quote from a philosopher, and it says, those who do not remember the past are condemned to relive it and repeat it. And I, I was watching something. I've been watching. I don't know if you've watched it. Um, I love CNN when they have special things that they put on, and I've been watching a thing called the 60s. Have any of you been watching it? I love it. And I grew up in the 60s, and I've got to tell you that, um, you know, this was when Kennedy was president and during the assassination of Kennedy, um, John Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, and Martin Luther King. And it was a very violent time in our nation. And I was watching as um, last week they were talking about the civil rights union or the civil rights movement. And you got to remember, I lived in Southern California and I was about 13 and 14 when all this was going on in Georgia and Mississippi. And I, I watched that back today and I watched the videos of, of these young African-American kids it was called the Freedom Movement, and I watched them try to go and sit at a lunch counter, and I watched what they went through in the United States of America, and today, in 2014, it blows my mind. It blows my mind, and I think as a 14-year-old, and yeah, I was on the young side of being a teenager, 
I was oblivious to a lot of what was going on. Now, I remember my dad sitting in the den watching the news, and I remember I was, you know, captivated when Kennedy was assassinated, when Bobby Kennedy was assassinated, and when Martin Luther King was assassinated. But I have to tell you that I was dumbfounded at the fact that the government of the United States of America sat by and watched this happen. It blew my mind, and I hate the fact that I can say to you today, we still have racism in this country today. As I watched this last Sunday night, it took me to tears, and I literally was blown away. And I thought that this quote that I read was so appropriate, those who do not remember the past are condemned to relive it and repeat it. We have got to remember what God has done for us. We have got to tell our children and our children's children what God has done for us. If we forget the power of God, if we forget the things that God has done for us, we're doomed. We're lost. We're hopeless if we forget these things. And that's why this was written in these history books and it was said that this celebration should go on forever so that they wouldn't forget that God had saved a nation. It made me think back to Hitler and I asked my dad this so many times and he never could really give me a good answer for this. I said, Dad, why is it that when the Germans, when the Nazis, and I like to say the Germans, the Nazis were annihilating the Jews, that the rest of the world sat by and let it happen. It just blows my mind. And as nobody can give me a really good answer for that, I have to think the answer is the enemy. It was the enemy blinding the eyes of people and letting this evil happen. And if we, as God-fearing Christians, do not pray I fear that this will happen over and over and over if we do not pray for the protection and not just the Jews, for Christians. Christians are being persecuted at an alarming rate. Now, probably none of us in this room have suffered persecution like many Christians in other countries have. But let me tell you guys, it's coming. It's coming. We're losing rights We're losing religious freedoms day by day. And I think as time goes on, we're going to see this even more. We've got to come together and pray. So this celebration is to go on and on and on and on and on. So let's turn to chapter 10 now, The Fame of Mordecai. I love this book. Don't you love this book? It makes me feel hopeful. It makes me feel good and it makes me feel thankful. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores, and all his acts of power and might together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai. And let me just stop there and say, and Mordecai took no glory for Mordecai, did he? He gave glory to God, whom the king had promoted. Are they not written in the book of the annuals of the king of Medes and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in ranks to King Xerxes. 
preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. It's interesting to me as we read in chapter 10 that as King Xerxes made Mordecai his second in command, then and only then did victory come to King Xerxes. He conquered more than just Greece because you remember in the beginning he had wanted to conquer Greece and he went out and he suffered a great defeat. Well, he later uh, conquered Greece and it's thought that he conquered Italy and the island of Crete and this was a huge victory for him. But it only came when he put Mordecai as second in command. God was not only exalting Mordecai but establishing King Xerxes now that he had a man of righteousness that he could lean on and that could be his advisor. Remember how I told you that the second in command is so important? It's very important. Not like our vice president in the United States of America seems to be. Remember weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks ago, it's kind of like the vice president is a joke in the United States of America. You know, more comedians make more jokes about the vice president than anybody else. And it's really sad because the second in command can be so important. So we end this saga with Mordecai in the greatest moments of his life. This exciting drama may be over, but the blessings of what God has done through Mordecai and through Esther go on forever and ever and ever. God preserved, preserved the Jewish nation so that today we can have a Bible and we can have a Savior. And now it's our job, it's your job, and it's my job to tell the whole world about Jesus. You know, I think I said this on the first day as we started, first or second meeting, as we started to talk about Esther and God's plan for her life. How do you not know, Esther, that you have not come to the palace, to the kingdom, for such a time as this? Well, the question for you and I today is, how do you not know that God has brought you to this place, whether it be Leesburg or Percival or Sterling or Winchester or West Virginia or D.C., wherever it is, how do you not know that God has not brought you to this place for such a time as this. What is it that God wants to do through you? What is it that God wants you, you to do for his people today? What is it that God wants you to do for the church? What is it that God wants you to do to get his word um, passed along? From community to community, what is it that God wants you to do in the life of a neighbor? What does God want you to do for a friend? What is it that God wants you to do for your husband? What is it that God wants you to do for your children? Are you willing or do you have the viewpoint, I might die. If I go to Africa, to the uttermost parts of the earth, to preach the gospel... 
I might get bitten by a spider and I might die. But what did Esther say? And that's one of my fears, by the way. What did Esther say? If I perish, I perish. What's the worst thing that can happen? We will die. What's the best thing that will happen? We will die and we will go to heaven. So the thing that I think that God wants us to take from this book, there's so much, but one of the things that I think in the end is, what is it that God's called you to this place to do? What is it? There's nothing more exciting than finding out. There's nothing more exciting than knowing. Maybe it's scary, but it's an adventure. Look at it as an adventure. You know, do you want to just be here and, and, you know, get up every morning and eat breakfast and think, what am I going to have for lunch and what am I going to make for dinner? And I got to go to the store and I got to do the laundry and I got to vacuum and I got to clean the bathrooms and I got to take the dogs to the groomers and kids need their haircuts and, oh, it's back to school time. All those things are wonderful and all those things are good and praise the Lord that we get to take care of children and husbands and families. But I've got to think there is something else that God wants for us to do. There's a purpose for each and every one of us. You know, we, we have a, a saying here, making him known. That's our whole building project name um, slogan, making him known. But that's a slogan that's in the word of God. And that's a slogan that's for us. We're to make him known. And Esther and Mordecai did this, and they saved their people, and they knew what God wanted them to do. And for those of you that say would come up to me and say, I don't know what God wants me to do, well, ask him. God wants to speak to you. God wants to tell you. He wants you to be that vessel. God has a plan for your life. The question is, will you let him work through you as Esther and Mordecai let him work through them? How do you know that you have not come to this place for such a time as this? God wants to use you. He wants to do great things through you. The only thing stopping you is you. Let's pray.